So Jesus, we thank you for your word. Use it to change us, make us more like you. Lord, help us to hear it, help us to understand it, help us to obey it. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, 945, it's great to be with you this morning. I want to welcome all of you who are watching online as well. Hey, if I haven't met you before, my name is Daniel Triller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Always love worshiping with you. All right, let's get going. One of my favorite things to do each summer is to go backpacking, to get out to the mountains, hike around, and spend a couple nights out there. But yet, one of the challenges with backpacking, if you've ever been, is that it really forces you to think through what you actually need. Because if you're going to be putting a lot of miles in, spending a lot of nights out there, you want to be as light as you can reasonably be. And there's even a common saying in backpacking that goes something like this. You carry your fears in your pack. The idea is that whatever it is that you fear losing, you'll likely carry too much of it in your pack. And so if you're overly worried about being hungry or cold, you'll likely carry too much food or too many clothes, both of which are going to weigh you down. If you're worried about not having your phone, you'll take whatever charger and other accessories you need to make sure you're always connected. And if you're worried about your appearance, yes, you might even take makeup and a mirror on the trail with you. And yes, I have seen this before. (laughs) As the saying goes, you carry your fears in your pack. And now the saying's a little flawed since being ready for the unknown is essential. And yes, you may end up taking some stuff that you don't actually use. But the saying definitely has merit to it. You carry your fears in your pack. You see, backpacking has this unique way of exposing your fears. And we could even take it a step further and say it exposes your idols, those things that you must have, you can't live without, those things that you have staked your meaning and purpose and self-worth in. And here's why I share this all with you. Is that the same dynamic that is true in backpacking is true with the Sabbath as well. You see, the Sabbath, and more specifically, our struggle to actually take one, exposes our fears and idols. And I'll explain what I mean by that as we go. We're nearing the end of a long series on the book of Jeremiah, and right here in the middle of the book, we have this passage on the Sabbath. God says through Jeremiah, do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy. God's calling the Israelites to take a Sabbath where one day a week, God's people would step away from their regular work and take a day of rest. And keeping the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments and first modeled by God himself when he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And yet breaking the Sabbath may not seem like all that big of a deal, especially compared to some of the other things that we've seen God call Israel out for. You've got child sacrifice, adultery, injustice, refusing to care for the poor and needy. And so you think of the Sabbath, what's the big deal here? And I think the answer is that it's because the Sabbath, just like backpacking, has a way of exposing our fears and idols. And now, quick time out. The challenge with talking about the Sabbath with a large group like this is that it hits us in all sorts of different ways depending on where we're at in life. Some of you are unemployed and in desperate need of a job. And so to talk about the Sabbath feels like a punch in the gut because you're thinking, it's not Sabbath I need, I need work. Some of you are working for minimum wage, trying to make ends meet and provide for your family. And so Sabbath probably feels like some kind of fantasy idea more than anything. Some of you are retired. And so Sabbath feels like something that was only relevant to you back in the days of a nine-to-five job. 
Some of you are young parents. You're up all night, tired all day, caring for a newborn or toddler and think, I would kill for a Sabbath, but you have no idea what my life is like. And so to have a 30-year-old with no kids and no mortgage teaching on the Sabbath is kind of like getting dating advice from a fourth grader. (laughs) And as for all our middle school and high school students out there, in so many ways, you all want and need a Sabbath just as much as the rest of us. You want a Sabbath, but with the expectations to succeed from your parents, your teachers, and coaches, you feel like there's no way you can get one. And so to all of you, My simple hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit would apply the truths of this sermon to help you hear the sermon however the Holy Spirit wants to do so. That's my prayer. All right, time out over. Let's get back to our big idea. The Sabbath exposes our fears and idols. And here's what I mean by that. The temptation whenever we talk about the Sabbath is to immediately ask, what does it actually look like? Or how do I actually do it? And those are definitely questions that we'll answer. But we can't start there because there's a more important question. And the question is this, why is it so hard for you and I to actually take one? Why do you and I struggle so much with putting down our work and taking a Sabbath? Because in one sense, this should be the easiest command for us to keep. You know, don't work, rest. But instead, we're no better off than the Israelites. We don't listen and we disobey. And so what we're really asking here when you get down to it is what's the sin beneath the sin? You know, what's going on in our heart that prompts us to sin and keeps you and I from keeping the Sabbath? And as you start to dig deeper, the real truth begins to come out. For some of us, for some of us it's greed, specifically money. We want more of it. And the simple math is, is that if we work more hours, we'll get more of it which will give us the power and status and material stuff that we crave. For others, it's an identity thing. Work is all we know, and we don't know who we are or what we would do without it. For others, it's about a sense of power and control, where if we work through the weekend, holding on to some project or assignment, it allows us to gain control over our job and maybe even over our coworkers. And for you high schoolers, maybe it's a chance to increase your chances of getting into the right college and to gain control over your future. For others, maybe it's, maybe it's a general fear, a kind of this won't get done or this won't get done well without me. And for some, it's to gain some kind of approval or praise where you, where you know that if you put more hours in and work into the weekend, your coworkers are going to notice and give you credit for a job well done or a job well done faster. And maybe for our students, maybe it's trying to get praise for getting that varsity letter, the lead role in the play, or that 4.0 GPA. And so you are, are you able to identify what it is that's keeping you from keeping the Sabbath? You know, are you able to pinpoint what's really going on there? About two years ago, I left on what I can still to this day only describe as a soul-searching trip. I was working here at Bell Press and really putting a lot of time and energy into my job and not doing a good job of keeping the Sabbath. And I finally got to this one long holiday weekend where I didn't have anything on the calendar. And, then, and I know that to many of you that sounds amazing, a weekend with no commitments. But to me it was a sign that something was deeply wrong. You see, I didn't have anything lined up. And worse yet, when I scrolled through my phone, every, everyone was either unavailable or I simply didn't feel comfortable calling them because it would have seemed desperate. And that's a crummy feeling. 
You see, I realized I'd given so much of myself to my work that when I came up for air and had a weekend of myself, I truly didn't know what to do. I hadn't cultivated or maintained the friendships that I wanted for myself, and I felt stuck. And so I spent three days down in Astoria, Oregon, of all places, where I took my Bible and a journal and really started asking the question, what, and more importantly, who am I working for? And what's keeping me from keeping the Sabbath? And for me, throughout the years, the answer has historically been a desire for others' praise and approval. Because I know that if I work harder and work more hours, I will gain more of it. You see, when people compliment me, I'm often doing this. With my words, I'll say, you really don't have to. But in my heart, I'm saying, come on, you are on a roll. Keep going. (laughs) You see, the real sin isn't that I've failed to keep the Sabbath. No, the real sin is that throughout my life, I have often cared more about what other people think about me rather than what God thinks about me. I put my faith and trust in people rather than God himself. That's why I fail to keep the Sabbath. And even more, when you really get to the bottom of it, in almost every single one of these idols, it always comes back to a failure to trust, a failure to trust in God rather than ourselves and others, a failure to trust that our God is big enough, that in Christ we are enough, that at the end of the day we have enough, that we've done enough, It's a failure to trust. We're just verses before our passage on the Sabbath. Jeremiah says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. It's all about trust. And so if you're struggling to keep the Sabbath, are you able to identify what that's all about? What's the sin beneath the sin? Because until we're able to do that, talking about what the Sabbath actually looks like or how to do it is a futile effort. And all right, we're finally ready to turn the corner. What do you and I do with all this? What do you and I do with whatever it is that's at the root of us disobeying the Sabbath? Well, here's your homework. We're getting to our homework early and often with this one. Here are four things you can do. The first is this, pray and prioritize. This is where we have to start. We have to pray and prioritize, and these two belong together. Because as we read scripture and go to God in prayer, God will make it clear to us what is most important, which will help us to prioritize. And if you want to prioritize, you're only going to be able to truly discern that through prayer. And doing both will put us in better position to keep the Sabbath. And specifically, we need to go to God in prayer asking a couple specific questions. And one is this, what are my priorities in life? We have to be able to answer that question. What is most important? a list of our faith in Christ, our family, school, work, some combination of that. We have to be able to name that and let that drive how you spend your time. But yet here's the other and often much more difficult question, and that is what are the things that only I can do? We have to continually remind ourselves that just because something needs to get done doesn't mean that we have to be the ones who actually do it. You see, delegating is essential, and it may feel like we're running away from responsibility, and while that can always be the case, that could be the case, I think that delegating and asking the questions, what can only I do, is one of the most 
idol-destroying questions we can ask for ourselves and one of the most life-giving questions we can ask of others. One of my biggest aha moments in ministry came a couple months ago as I delegated a key project to a younger staff member. I knew I didn't have the time or energy to pull it off, and I really believed that this person was better suited and gifted to take on the project. And while this project is still in process, in my eyes, it's already a huge success because here's what this person said to me while working on the project. She said, thank you for trusting me with this project. How great is that? Everybody wins. I win as I let stuff go and God helps me work my way out of my idols. She wins as she is trusted and set up to take on a meaningful project. And the body of Christ wins as God's people bring their God-given gifts to serve his kingdom. And so is there anything that you are currently doing that you can delegate so that you can keep the Sabbath and in doing so serve God, serve others, and take care of yourself? So there's homework number one. Pray and prioritize. And here's number two. Keep the Sabbath. It's about time that we actually talk about the Sabbath itself. And the Sabbath works in a couple different ways here. On one hand, the Sabbath and our inability to keep it exposes our fears and idols. But yet at the same time, the Sabbath is a spiritual training exercise that God uses to work our idols down to their proper size and draw us closer to Jesus. And now when it comes to the Sabbath day itself and how you spend it, here's the big idea. Do what brings you and others life and helps you connect with Jesus. That's at the heart of what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy. Do what brings you and others life and helps you connect with Jesus. And just to clear the air here, it doesn't matter what day of the week you take the Sabbath. And no, you will not be struck down by lightning if you're caught doing laundry on the Sabbath. To get overly fixated with those details, I think Jesus would tell us is simply to miss the point. Because remember what Jesus says about the Sabbath when the Pharisees are giving him and his disciples a hard time when they're picking grain on the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He says the Sabbath above all is God's gift to us, not our chance to win God's favor and approval. And so let's enjoy it for the good gift that it is. And so do what gives you life. For me, it's trail runs on Cougar Mountain while listening to a sports podcast. For others, it's going to be different. My wife loves to organize. It's relaxing and life-giving for her. Now, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I want to be very clear. I am blessed by it. (laughs) But I don't get it. But for some reason, it's life-giving for her. On the Sabbath, give yourself permission to be inefficient. Make an actual phone call. Follow a recipe. Take public transportation. Do what gives you life. Play a video game. Journal, read scripture, make beautiful art, be with your family, read a book, take a long walk. Introverts, recharge alone. Extroverts, recharge with others. Will you please do us a favor and leave us introverts alone? (laughs) In all of it, be reminded that the God who created the world continues to sustain it, even when we rest. And if taking a full day seems impossible, first go back to point one, pray and prioritize. And then at the very least, create Sabbath moments for yourself. And maybe it's using your commute as a chance to pray or reflect. And so that's number two, keep the Sabbath. 
The third is this. Give Sabbath to others. We as Christians should not only be people who take a Sabbath, but also people who give Sabbath away. And beyond that, the truth is that some of us have too much Sabbath and others of us have too little. And so how can you give Sabbath to others? As some of you may have heard, we're currently doing something called the One Story Challenge, where between now and Easter, we're challenging you to have one story of where you participated with Jesus in bringing his healing wherever you are, whether it be school, work, neighborhood, home, church, volunteer time, wherever you are. And let me reframe this One Story Challenge in light of the Sabbath. How can you give Sabbath to others? How can you create rest and Sabbath-like moments for others? And so let me give you some examples. Is there a family at school who is struggling or neighbors who are new to the neighborhood that you could invite over for dinner? Do you have a vacation home or a guest home that could be a place of rest for people who desperately need it? Spouses, if your other spouse is, all, if your spouse is always at home, can you do stuff around the house so that that spouse can get time out of the house? Parents, can you help free up your students from some activity or responsibility that they really don't need to be doing? And students, can you free up part of your weekend so that your family can enjoy time with you? Those of us without kids, could you offer to watch someone's kids for a couple hours? A couple weeks ago, my wife and I babysat our friend's three-year-old daughter, and we had a great time. We played with Play-Doh, had a dance party in the living room. I think we listened to Aladdin's A Whole New World like seven straight times. It was great. They win as they get a date night out. And Callie and I win as we get our own kind of date night in and get a glimpse of what it could be like to have kids of our own someday. And so what's one way that you can participate with Jesus in bringing healing, bringing Sabbath wherever you are? Be praying about that and pray that God would show you an opportunity to bring healing and then keep your eyes out for it. And then once you have it, go check out the lobby where you'll see a map of the east side cut into wood that was created by some of our great artists here in our community. And when you have that story, there's some wooden stamps out there with ink on them. Take one of them, mark a square on the map where your story took place, and as each, and as each of us stamp the place where we participated with Jesus in bringing healing, we'll gradually, our stamps will overlap with each other, and the color will deepen, and fill in the map, and we'll start to see our city differently as a place where God is bringing healing and wholeness you see, every stamp is a story of God reviving the east side. And if by chance your story took place off the map, simply put your mark on the edge of it. And then if you're really willing, you can shoot us a 15-second video on your phone and send it to us. And there are instructions at the map on how to do just that. That's the one-story challenge. How can you bring healing? How can you create Sabbath for others? And here is the fourth and final one, and it's the most important one of all, we, we've got to remember the gospel. Our culture will tell you that the quality of your work is the measure of your worth. Let me say that again. The quality of your work, your resume, your transcript is the measure of your worth. And the Sabbath is one of the means that God uses to say, no, it's not. The Sabbath is a bold statement to our culture and God's reminder to us when he says, no, it's not. The quality of your work is not the measure of your worth. 
Because way back when, when God's people were slaves in Egypt, where they never had a Sabbath, where they worked day in and day out, where their whole existence was based around how much they could accomplish. And then years later, God reminded them to keep the Sabbath where he said this, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God is saying you can rest because your identity is not found in what you have done. No, it's found in what I have done for you. Yes, the Sabbath is rest for our bodies, but even more, it's rest for our heart and mind and soul. Because for us Christians, the Sabbath is a day where we can step away from our work because Jesus did the work that mattered most. Where on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Where Jesus said, you are loved, you are worthy, you matter, you are enough. And the Sabbath ought to remind us that the most important work has already been done when Jesus went to the cross. And so, Belprez, wherever you work, whether it be in an office or cubicle, inside or outside, morning or night, work hard. And then on that seventh day, rest, because the quality of your work is not the measure of your worth. If you're a stay-at-home parent, work hard. For six days, work hard, teach and raise your kids with everything you've got to the glory of God. And then on that seventh day, rest, because the quality of your work is not the measure of your worth. And if you're a student, work hard. For six days, work hard. Find things that you love learning about. Give it your all out on the sports field or in choir or in drama, whatever it is that you love to do. And then on that seventh day, rest, because the quality of your work is not the measure of your worth. And tomorrow, I'm driving east towards the mountains where I'll spend the day hiking and I'll probably listen to a podcast or two, but I'll also take some time to pray and reflect and remember who I am in Christ because the quality of my work is not the measure of my worth. Whenever you doubt, whenever you find yourself wanting to bury yourself in your work, look at the cross See what Christ has done for us at the cross. That is the measure of our worth. We have to get that inside and out. It has to go from our head to our heart. And it's not until we know that deep down that we can truly rest and enjoy the Sabbath for what it is. So may it be so. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, you are creator. You are provider. You are sustainer. You've given us life. Jesus, you went to the cross. You rose again. Help us to find our identity in you and to trust in the fact that we can rest and that we can take a Sabbath. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.